Welcome to the Hillside Church Denver podcast, the home for content from Hillside Church in Denver, Colorado. Hillside exists to help people belong to Jesus people, believe in Jesus, and become like Jesus. And we hope that what you hear today does just that. Go to hillsidedenver.org for more information about this community of Jesus followers. And if you're in the Denver area, we would love to welcome you in one Sunday morning. But for now, on to the pod. So John 11, 38 to 57, you can follow on the screen or in the Bible in your pew. Uh, By the way, if you don't have a good Bible and you'd like that pew Bible, go ahead and take it with you. It is yours. You may have it. John 11, 38 to 57. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone was lying against it. Remove the stone, Jesus said. Martha, the dead man's sister, told him, Lord, there's already a stench because he's been dead four days. Jesus said to her, didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I know that you always hear me, but because of the crowd standing here, I said this, so that they may believe you sent me. After he said this, he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, bound hand and foot with linen strips and with his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, unwrap him and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he did believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees convened the Sanhedrin and were saying, what are we going to do since this man is doing many signs? If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. One of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all. You're not considering that it is to your advantage that one man should die for the people rather than the whole nation perish. He did not say this on his own, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the nation. And not for the nation only, but also to unite the scattered children of God. So from that day on, they plotted to kill him. Jesus, therefore, no longer walked openly among the Jews, but departed from there to the countryside near the wilderness to a town called Ephraim. And he stayed there with his disciples. Now the Jewish Passover was near, and many went up to Jerusalem from the country to purify themselves before the Passover. They were looking for Jesus and asking one another as they stood in the temple, What do you think? He won't come to the festival, will he? The chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should report it so that they could arrest him. This is the word of the Lord. Now, oftentimes, when we look at the story of Lazarus, we stop at the resurrection of Lazarus because that's the happy point, right? That's the point we want to get to. We want to get to the resurrection and just celebrate And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with wanting to get to the happy ending and celebrate it. The Lord knows that our world is dark enough and our lives are hard enough that we need happy endings. And we need to just sit and rest in those happy endings. But that's not what this Advent series is about. So here's what's going on here. We're we're nearing the end of the Gospel of John. We're nearing the end of the story. Now, from this point on, chapter 12 to the end of the book is going to be all about getting Jesus to the cross and then to the resurrection. 
So we're, we're kind of in the falling act or the climactic action. We're, we're heading up to kind of the main thing. And what happens here in chapter 11 is the ultimate miracle of Jesus. In John, there are seven miracles. John like neatly lays out these seven miracles to point to how great Jesus is. Back in chapter 9 was when we saw the last miracle of Jesus. He healed a man born blind. Which, according to the teachers of the law at the time, was impossible. You couldn't heal somebody who was born blind. And yet Jesus did, and he proves his power over genetics. He proves his power over all of life in the healing of the man born blind. And there are lots of people who are following Jesus, who are listening to Jesus, who are believing in Jesus, who are thinking, man, how do you top that? Right? How do you top healing someone who was born blind? That's crazy. They had heard of someone raising the dead before. That had been done. Elijah had done Elisha had done that back in the Old Testament. They had stories of that happening. And so they, they had an inkling that God could raise the dead through somebody. But to heal somebody born blind was a really big deal. And so lots of people started following Jesus after that. And then we get here to the ultimate miracle in John. Jesus had heard that Lazarus was sick, and when Jesus heard Lazarus was sick, he delayed going to Lazarus' family. He waited. He said, I'm, I'm not going to go yet. And he was talking with his disciples, and they were saying, well, Lord, shouldn't we go? We've got word that Lazarus is sick. Shouldn't we go? And Jesus says, no. It's not going to end in Lazarus' death, I promise you. And so he waits. And then he comes to Bethany where Lazarus' family is. When he gets to Bethany, we learn that Lazarus has now been dead four days. Now, this is a big deal. According to a later tradition, rabbis would teach later that the, the soul of a person would hover over the body for three days. And after the third day, it would depart. Basically, you had a three-day window for a resurrection. And after that, there wasn't any hope left. Now, this was a later tradition, but we think that probably at the time of Jesus, this was kind of floating around in the atmosphere. Like, you got three days to raise somebody from the dead. But that fourth day, no, all hope is gone. There's no chance of it happening. The body has started to decay at this point. There's no way you're going to resurrect someone after the fourth day, which is why it's such a big deal that it's been four days. There's just no chance of a resurrection now. So Jesus arrives in Bethany, and he's met by Martha, Lazarus' sister, who says, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Then he talks to Mary, Martha's sister, Lazarus' sister, and Mary says the exact same thing. And Jesus basically tells them, look, just hope. And that's what we explored last week, where we were talking about, what if Jesus didn't raise Lazarus at that point? What if Jesus had showed up, comforted Mary and Martha, assured them that Lazarus would be raised at the end of all things, like Martha already believed, and that was it. He didn't raise him from the dead. Would Jesus still be good? Would Jesus still be good if he didn't do the thing that we expected of him? And the answer is yes. Jesus would still be good. He would still be our good God, even if he chose not to raise Lazarus in this moment. Not because he didn't have the power to raise him, but because in his good purposes, he chose not to. Jesus would still be our good God. But today, we're going to see Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. And this is the culminating miracle. This is the ultimate miracle in John. Because it proves Jesus' power over death. 
And it proves Jesus' power over death in a way that kind of flew in the face of what people believed at the time. In a way that flew in the face of the tradition of the time, which said, like, you've got this window to raise somebody, but after that, it's impossible. And Jesus says, no, nothing's impossible with me. (laughs) Nothing's impossible for him. And this is the miracle that tops healing somebody born blind. This is the miracle that proves Jesus is absolutely who he says he is. He is the resurrection and the life. He is God in the flesh. He is the one who has power and authority even over death, even over four days in the grave. Jesus is the resurrection and the life, and there's nothing that can stop this guy. This is who Jesus is. And so he comes and Jesus prays. I love this prayer that Jesus prays. Father, I thank you that you heard me. I know that you always hear me, but because of the crowd standing here, I said this so that they may believe you sent me. This is, this is so considerate of Jesus, isn't it? Like, God, I know you always hear me, but look, there are people listening and they've got doubts. But I need to prove to them what I already know is true of our relationship. And so he prays this prayer. And then with three words, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. It's it's great. We've seen Jesus do miracles that required some kind of work. We've seen Jesus spit in his hand and make mud to heal a blind man before. We've seen Jesus spit and heal somebody's ears before. We've seen Jesus lay on a body to raise it from the dead, just like Elijah did so many years before. We've seen Jesus do work to raise people from the dead. But here, at his ultimate miracle, at arguably the one that requires the most of him and of God, a man four days in the tomb needs raising. All Jesus has got to say is, come on out of there. And Lazarus stands up and walks out of the tomb with a word. This is a proof of what John told us at the beginning of his gospel in John 1.1 when he says, The word came and dwelt among us. The very word of God in the flesh. That's who Jesus is. And what does the word of God do to create the earth? What does the word of God do to make all things that we see? He just speaks. And Jesus is the one who can speak life even into hopeless death. Jesus is the one who speaks into rotten, stinking tombs and calls out life where there is no hope. This is who our God is. This is who our Jesus is. This is the beauty of the resurrection of Lazarus. And this is the beauty for you and me. Because there is not a one of us who is as hopeless as Lazarus was in that moment. There's not a person in the sound of my voice, there's not a person on this earth who is as hopeless as Lazarus was laying in that tomb four days after he had died. And yet Jesus can, with a couple of words, call forth life out of hopeless death. And he can do the same for you and me. He can call light into our deepest darkness. He can call life out of our death. He can call healing out of our brokenness. He can call righteousness out of our sin. Jesus can bring all of God's goodness into all of our brokenness. This is what Jesus does. This is who Jesus is. And it is beautiful and it is amazing. And we can hold fast to that hope. But there's a problem. Here we come to the problem. Lazarus is going to die again. 
The blind man Jesus healed, he's going to die one day. The sick people that Jesus brought to health, they're going to get sick again. The problem is that all of Jesus' miracles, they're all temporary. All of Jesus' miracles, they're all temporary because death is going to come again. Sickness is going to come again. Family relationships are going to be broken again. There's not a miracle that happens in this physical world that isn't temporary. Because we live in a sinful, broken, fallen world where death still reigns. What do you do with that? And what do you do with the fact that Jesus, God in the flesh, comes in and he does these miracles to prove who he is, but these people are still going to die? They're still going to get sick again. They're still going to deal with broken relationships. They're still going to have to face the brokenness of this world. What, what do we do with that? Every miracle is temporary. And in this case, this miracle leads to real suffering. Because in John's gospel, this is the miracle that leads to Jesus' arrest. This is the miracle that Jesus does that makes the Jewish leadership go, we got to get rid of this guy. Up until now, he was just kind of a backwoods preacher out in the country of Galilee. We could, we could kind of, we didn't like him, but we could kind of dismiss him. Because he wasn't really, he wasn't really walking in power. He wasn't really, he didn't really have a huge following. He wasn't a threat to us. But this is the miracle that makes Jesus a threat to the leadership of Jerusalem, to the leadership of the nation. This is the miracle that makes the leadership perk up their ears and go, wait a minute, if he keeps growing his following, then the Romans are going to get threatened and they're going to come down hard on us. And so they begin to seek after Jesus to arrest him. This is the miracle that leads to Jesus' crucifixion. Not only that, this miracle puts a target on Lazarus's back. John 12, verses 9 to 11. Jesus is in Jerusalem for the Passover. And we see that a large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there. And they came not only because of Jesus, but also to see Lazarus, the one he had raised from the dead. So a bunch of people are gathered because they want to see Lazarus. But the chief priests had decided to kill Lazarus also. Because he was the reason many of the Jews were deserting them and believing in Jesus. How threatened do you got to be to go after the guy that Jesus raised from the dead how threatened by Jesus do you have to be to go, you know what, we got to even kill that kid Lazarus because now people believe in Jesus because of him. we got to take him out just to prove that Jesus', Jesus power isn't that great. They know, they know who Jesus is. They know the power of Jesus. They know what he's here to do. But they're looking out for their power. They're looking out for their influence. They're looking out for the nation. And that's why Caiaphas, the high priest, can say, isn't it better that one guy would die, maybe two, with Lazarus included, to save the whole nation? This miracle of Jesus, which proves his ultimate power, which shows us exactly who he is, is the very miracle that will lead to his death and put a target on Lazarus' back. Now tell me that's not a mixed bag, right? We want to stop at the raising of Lazarus and be like, yay, yeah, hooray, without reading the rest of the story. And seeing how the raising of Lazarus was wonderful and beautiful and, and was done out of compassion for Mary and Martha and yet caused all kinds of trouble for Jesus and his followers. 
what kind of miracle is this? Wouldn't it have been better for Jesus to show up, comfort Mary and Martha, say, Lazarus will be raised at the last day. I'm just here to sit shiva with you and comfort you and be with you and then go on his way. But Jesus knew what was going to happen. Jesus was well aware of what was going to happen. So, so why didn't Jesus warn people? Why didn't he tell his disciples, his followers? Why didn't he tell Mary and Martha, hey, I'm going to raise Lazarus, but look, it's going to ultimately lead to my death, and it's going to put a target on Lazarus's back too. Like, it would have been really nice to have a little bit of warning here, not to be blindsided by this, right? Jesus knew what was coming, but he didn't tell anybody. Except he sort of did. Jesus, all along this story, is making it clear that this raising of Lazarus isn't necessarily even about Lazarus. It's not even really about Mary and Martha. Yeah, Jesus loves them. He has compassion on them. He wants to love them and serve them. And so he comes and he weeps with them and he mourns with them and then he raises their brother. But Jesus makes it clear all the way through this story that the reason he raises Lazarus is for the glory of God and so people will believe in him. Let's look back before they even get there. Jesus tells his disciples, I'm glad that I wasn't there and that Lazarus died so that you would see the glory of God and believe in me. To Martha, when she says, I know he'll raise at the last day, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will never die. Make sure you know where your hope is going, Martha. It is in me. And even here, at the prayer at the tomb of Lazarus, Jesus prays aloud and he says, I know you always hear me, Father, but because of the crowd standing here, I said this, so that they may believe you sent me. Jesus raised Lazarus so people would believe in him. Jesus raised Lazarus so people would glorify the God of Jesus. So People would glorify his father and believe in the one God the Father sent in Jesus Christ. Because as much as every miracle in this world is temporary, as much as all the miracles that Jesus did for people were temporary because people would die and people would get sick and people would have broken relationships and people would still have to live in a sinful world, as much as all the miracles Jesus did were temporary, there's one eternal miracle that we all have access to. There's one miracle that cannot be taken away, that can never be undone. There's one miracle that is eternal and everlasting for every single one of us. And that is the new life that is ours in Jesus Christ. And Jesus saw that miracle and said, that one, that's the one you all need. That's the one that I want to point to. That's the one that is above and beyond every other miracle. Anything else God does for you besides saving your soul and giving you eternal life is icing on the cake. God has one gift he can give you eternally, and that is the life that is yours in Christ Jesus. That is the forgiveness of sins that we can have through Jesus Christ and the power of God's Holy Spirit coming and living inside of us to give us eternal life. Any other blessing from God is an extra on top of that. But that is the gift of God, eternal life in Jesus Christ. 
And that's why Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. By his own admission, according to his own words, Jesus said, I am raising him from the dead so that you will believe in me because I am the resurrection and the life. And if you believe in me, you will never die. It's the only way to be sure that all of those things that happen, it's the only way to be sure that all the brokenness and sin of the world, it's the only way to be sure that the brokenness of this body doesn't have eternal consequences for you. It's the only way to get the life of God through believing in Jesus Christ. My friends, there is one miracle that is everlasting, and every single one of us has access to it. We don't have to say magic words. We don't have to have perfect faith. We don't have to come before God and say just the right thing in just the right way and lay the right sacrifices down and make the right the right sacrifices before God. We don't have to follow a perfect law. All we have to do is go to our Father in heaven. All we have to do is go to our Lord Jesus and say, here is my sin. Here is my life, Lord. I give it to you. Would you give me your life? I repent of my sin. I turn away from the ways that I have rejected you, the ways that I've, I've pushed you away, God. Would you give me the life of Jesus? And God promises that in the moment that we repent of our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to give us the life and power of Jesus Christ, to give us the Holy Spirit of God living inside of us that no one can touch, that no one can take away, that no power of the earth can destroy. This is the miracle of miracles. This is the miracle that never dies, that never goes away, that can never be taken from us. That we can all get. I think too many of us spend too much of our lives looking for some amazing sign. We want to see a resurrection of Lazarus. We want to see proof of Jesus. We want to see the beautiful, the amazing, miraculous works of God, and he still does them, no doubt. God is still at work. He's still doing miracles. He's still healing bodies and raising the dead. God is still at powerful work, but none of that holds a candle to the miracle of new life in Christ that is ours through the forgiveness of sin and the presence of God's Holy Spirit. None of those amazing physical miracles can touch the transformation of a soul that moves from death to life, that moves from being opposed to God to being for Jesus. Nothing changes, nothing touches the miracle of a change of allegiance from myself and the world to Jesus, our King. Nothing is as powerful as that miracle. And that's what Jesus wants for every one of us. That's what all the other miracles are to point us to. That's what all the other amazing works of God are meant to point us to. To that life that is ours in Jesus Christ, that eternal miracle that Jesus went to a cross to give us, that Jesus, God in the flesh, went to this instrument of torture, to this execution, in order to have our sins nailed to the cross so we could be forgiven and have new life. Jesus trading his death for our life, his righteousness for our sin. And on the day that Jesus spread wide his arms, and let all of the power of sin in the world destroy his body, he won for us 
forgiveness of our sin, and eternal life. And that's why every single week as a body, as a community, we come to this table and we celebrate the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus, which for us purchases forgiveness of sins and gives us access to the life of God, to that permanent miracle that cannot be taken away. And so we come and we partake of the body and blood of Jesus. We take into ourselves the sacrifice of Christ. Not that... Not that the bread and the cup become the literal body and blood of Jesus, but also that it's more than a symbol, that God is present in this meal when we take it together as his body, when we declare that we are bonded together by the shed blood and broken body of Jesus here. And so I'm going to invite you in a moment after I pray to come forward and to partake of the body and blood. If you're a follower of Jesus today, if you've given your life to him and received forgiveness of sins and eternal life, then I invite you to come and partake of the body and blood of Jesus. Here we make two lines in the center and we come forward and we tear from the bread and we dip into the cup and you partake on your way back. Or if you'd prefer, there's a pre-filled cup, you can take one of those. Let me pray for us and then we'll come and partake. God, thank you. Thank you that, Jesus, every miracle you did was to point us to the life of God the Father, the life of the Holy Spirit, the life of God the Son that is ours for the asking. Thank you, Lord, that you are powerfully at work among us, healing bodies, even raising the dead. But thank you, Lord, more so that you are here giving eternal life to everyone who would ask for it, everyone who would repent of sin and turn to you, Jesus. Thank you for making it so easy. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have done the work for us and that you have offered us your righteousness. Thank you, Jesus, for your advent, that you came and, God, you wrapped yourself in flesh to walk the world as one of us, to sympathize with us in our weakness, and ultimately, Lord, to take our sin and our shame and to crucify it, and then to rise again in victory over all the powers of the world. Thank you, Lord for the gift that is ours in Christ Jesus. And I pray as we partake of your body and blood, you would renew in us a dedication to your mission, a dedication to the good news of Jesus. You would cement us and root us deeply in the sacrifice of Christ and in our identity as people redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Thank you for bringing us together as this family. Thank you for this meal that unites us. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.